there's so many different ways to tell a story, and I don't want to diminish the idea of like just even writing as a way to tell stories, um, but that there's several different ways that people can story themselves, right? And it could be through photography, and it could be through videos, it could be through writing, it could be through poetry, it could be through artwork, and maybe it's that idea of like mobilizing that skill or that talent as well, which I think you did. The clip that you just heard was Haney Yoon discussing various modes of storytelling on a panel about multimodality at Mask Lab's PodFest 2019. Mask Lab is a hub for multimodal and digital scholarship that explores the relationship between media and our changing society. We support, curate, and create media intended to spark dialogue and social change and the development of pedagogy that uses media to foster civic engagement. MassLab is located in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technology Design Program at Teachers College, Columbia University. MassLab's PodFest is a celebration of podcasting and media making held each year at Teachers College, Columbia University. The event leverages the state-of-the-art Smith Learning Theater to provide an interactive and immersive environment for students, researchers, practitioners, and community members to come together and share in the experience of listening. Our 2019 PodFest featured curated engagements with episodes from our ongoing podcast series, such as Craftivism and Gun Violence Prevention, a station to compete with each other in our newly developed fake news game, and space to spotlight our community partnerships. This year's PodFest also included a bit of live podcasting, where we hosted a panel to discuss all things multimodality. The panel included Lalitha Vasudevan and Joanna Litterat, faculty members in the Math, Science, and Technology Department at Teachers College, Haney Yoon, a faculty member in the Curriculum and Teaching Department, and Katie Newhouse and Dahlia Constantine, who are doctoral students in the curriculum and teaching department as well. Listen in as they answer questions about making and youth storytelling, being open to various modes of inquiry, and the importance of multimodal research as a whole. Yes, that's beautiful. So I think we have some uh, Twitter questions, but Joe, do you have a question for us to start off with? And you all can so also feel free to ask There us. are index cards as well if you want to, um, but you can also use the hashtag um, PodFest 2019 to submit your questions to our panel. Um, so just a, a question from paper to start us off. How do we use uh, media and multimodal scholarship to, um, to encourage, uh, to change public education and uh, create spaces where children will be eager to learn? Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get Dahlia to start. Okay, here we I, go. Dahlia should start because she's actually currently working on a project where she's doing that very thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky to be doing my research in Arlington, Virginia, which is where I taught for many years and lived. Um, and it's a community that, that is supportive of kids being involved with what's going on. So for me, there's the pedagogy of it, there's the research of it, but we, I think we all hope, I'm not gonna speak for everyone, but that there's a blurring of those two. That if as a teacher you're doing multimodal pedagogy and having different entry points and exit points and conversation points, that that seeps into our research here, but that as a researcher going back, having kids doing mapping, walking in the community, documenting in the ways that feel comfortable for them so that multimodal methods don't become something the researcher is imposing on the kids just as we might impose interviews, like creating space for kids to enter our research in ways that feel comfortable for them. So when we ask kids to draw, 
that might be great because we get more information than maybe for some kids from talking. But if you're not a kid who feels comfortable drawing or expressing that way, we're missing out by not allowing them to express. So I feel like multimodality opens up a lot more expression in our research, but also like it allows us to present our research in ways that can be accessed by schools. So thinking about the work, like for my dissertation, we're going to do a gallery in the public library where the kids are sharing their work and are in conversation with other people, and it can be done in schools. It's more accessible for kids, so it's always a, a moment of tension, I think, for all of us when we're researching for kids in public schools, and that research isn't always accessible for kids. And it doesn't mean that everything has to be like something a third grader can read, but that we have different entry points into our research as well, that we have something for an academic audience, something for a public audience, something for kids. So there is that like taking a stand in what we believe in from a research perspective, but also using that to bridge into pedagogy, public pedagogy and public spaces, but also when teachers we work with see multimodal scholarship being done, it opens up room for them to take part in different types of pedagogy too. One of the things I think that's so interesting about Dahlia's work is that it embodies the idea, the word multimodal, in ways that connect it intimately with participatory research. And that's not always true of all multimodal research, but there's a connection that she's making that when you lower the barriers to participation in research, it's what I remember from her proposal hearing, um, what you're doing is that you're creating authentic ways for the young people to be involved in shaping the data that then gets used to make conclusions about their lives, their walks, their views on things. And I think it's important also to, to, to remind folks that multimodal in research and practice doesn't always get taken up that way. And I think it's beautiful that you have taken it up that way. And, and I think we have represented on the panel, um, I am playing a little moderator, um, <laughs> that, that I think the, the work that is represented on the panel is, is folks who've taken that up in, in a variety of different ways. I don't know if you wanna respond or take up what multimodal could mean for folks who might not be aware of it. This is what mm -hmm. happens when you have two people who know your work really well, too, because then they start talking about it. Um, but one of the things that Dahlia, I, that I think I've been inspired by Dahlia's work is um, I, she had come to class one day and she showed like a picture, a photograph that one of her students had taken, right? And he was in third grade, fourth grade? I can't Okay, fourth grade and eighth grade one. And I think that um, the rest of us, when we were looking at this photograph, we're like, wow, it's a really nicely positioned photograph. Like, there's angles to it. Obviously, he had gone across the street to actually take it. There was, like, an intentional motivation to forefront certain things and put other things in the background. And, you know, one of the things that she said was the kids actually engaged in their own photography, right, and talked about it and got um, engaged and then listened to it and really became experts at it. And I think that what I really appreciated about that was that they're seen as actual digital producers, right? That they're making something, they're photographing things, that they're not just, like we're not dismissing it as they're just having fun doing something with technology, um, but they're actually creating something um, for themselves as well as narrating a story to it, right? And I think that's a really important part of multimodal scholarship is that you could, there's so many different ways to tell a story and I don't wanna diminish the idea of like just even writing as a way to tell stories, um, but that there's several different ways that 
people can story themselves, right? And it could be through photography and it could be through videos. It could be through writing. It could be through poetry. It could be through artwork. And maybe it's that idea of like mobilizing that skill or that talent as well, which I think you did. I love how Haney put it that um, it's not about downplaying or, or degrading or hierarchizing different uh, modes of, of knowing and different modes of producing knowledge and scholarship. It's really about being open. Again, it's really this theme of openness that, that I think characterizes our panel, that characterizes a lot of the work that we do at Mass Lab in general. Um, so that's why I think that it, it all ties together really nicely because it's about um, really enacting and, and embracing the spirit of openness in regards to the tools as well, in regards to the modes of inquiry. And it's about rightness of fit, I think, in many ways. It's, it's um, being open enough to realize that sometimes the best tool or the best mode of inquiry might not be the most expected one or the most traditional one. So I also suspect there's messiness in that. Katie? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, I think it's, it is, it's, yeah, excellent moderation, Lalitha. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it is very messy. And the thing that I'm thinking about listening to you all talking also is that I think um, we are all, in a sense, multimodal scholars in the way we live our lives, right? We're always drawing on different modes of thinking, being, and understanding just in navigating the world. And so I think that Thinking for people who may be interested in pursuing multimodal scholarship, first I would say, you're probably already doing it, right? And so then this idea of being open to the tools through which you can conduct your own research into yourself or to, into something that you're interested in, um, that research isn't something far away over there that I have to go do with experts, right? That I can be the expert. And I think that's very much towards the orientation that Dahlia was talking about as well. And then, of course, that it is extremely messy. <laughs> and so it may not be a project where you came in with a question and you find an answer to that question, right? And I think that is really comes across in all the different projects from this evening that is so lovely is that this idea of inquiry in its true sense, right? That we're always asking questions and that sometimes that makes us ask more questions. And when we involve the participants in that question making, if I could say it that way, <clears throat> that we come up with something that may not at all be linear <laughs> and may not be easily explained in a two-sentence tweet, um, perhaps like a tweet thread, which I have to say, Lalitha is a wonderful curator of amazing tweet threads. That's a total tangent to keep it messy. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, and I think also, you know, honoring the messiness with your research participants as well. And your own messiness as being someone coming into a space oftentimes that you may not have always been a part of, that you're trying to capture something within, I think is a big part of that as well. And that again, that openness of how do you then pick tools and think about doing the research in that way that honors all of those things, which is also this idea of how do you prepare yourself then to come into that space? I'm also, it's so interesting because I think there's a there's an acceptance maybe when when people work with young people or you're trying to ask questions where you're trying to look at the stories young people produce if you have that openness already perhaps this conversation feels comfortable and and so can how would you how how what would you say to folks who say well if you're saying well, I'm already a multimodal scholar then what is it that you're offering 
that that is pushing our thinking? What is it that you're offering that is getting at something that maybe I'm not already getting at? What what is this combination of multimodality and scholarship allowing us to do, say, inquire into? No, I wasn't supposed to ask the tough questions. I was supposed to answer them. So how would you answer that? <laughs> I would say, Haney, you were saying something yesterday in class. <laughs> no, I, I asked that as a very legitimate question because as these things, as people's comments are running through my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, we're in academic space, so how do we make public the things that are in academic spaces? And I've been thinking a lot about the idea of, like, what's visible in public um, in schools and in schools from, like, pre-K through higher ed, right? Like there are just certain kinds of forms or modes that get visible and certain kinds that are invisible. Um, and I just did a project in a second grade classroom where we did photographs and videos and they basically like, I mean, it was, if you talk about mess, it's like the videos were like the Blair Witch Project where I couldn't, like I almost threw up watching them. And then the photographs were like, photographs of people's eyes and like up their nose and like just things that I couldn't quite make sense of. Um, but it's like, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but I'm just thinking like, how do I make, and not that, I don't, I don't wanna diminish that because I think that all that taken together is just such a powerful um, story of what school is like that is so invisible. Like when you go in the hallways of school, what you see is perfect writing, right? You see like posters of like, don't be a bully. Um, or like on a side note, like I took pictures of all the posters that said, don't be a bully the day after Trump was elected. And I was like, how weird is that? Like there's like posters about don't be a bully, but we just elected a bully, you know? Um, and so like, it's just interesting to see like what gets forefronted and visible in schools. And I think like, what if these Blair Witch Project videos or like the comics that kids drew on the side or like the things that they were doing in play that get kind of tossed up, what if those things were visible, right? And what if those things were made to matter more? And I think about that in multimodal scholarship and writing, like there's certain pieces that I've even written that I'm like, it would be so much better if I could tell the entire story and the entire story can't be captured in words, right? And so I think there's some pieces that I've been sitting on because I'm like, I don't know where to go with it, you know, because I wanna show the video, I wanna show the pictures, I wanna show the words, I wanna show how it all gets to, goes together and if a part of it is missing, it might not tell the whole experience, right? Right, and I think to go back to Lalita's question and, and to build on what you were saying, I think it also offers um, you an opportunity to talk about process yeah. um, in a really meaningful and nuanced way um, that I, for one, obviously I'm biased, uh, but I don't feel comes as easy. I don't feel you're pushed so much to think about process um, in, in other ways. Um, and I think there's exciting possibilities that we're just beginning to explore and understand and embrace to think about the relationship between these kind of texts, some more marginal than others, these visual texts primarily, and then traditional forms of scholarships. Um, and I think there's such an exciting area of opportunity there, and that has to do with the process. I'm glad you brought that up, because for me, process is like a big part. There's like, you know, I like use a lot of collage work, but you know, my, my husband's like, sees the collage materials too much, so sorry. 
But it's like there's collage as a product, there's collage as a process, there's collage as a stance, a way of seeing that things are messy, things are blurred. It's how different things come together. And we don't make visible process enough. But like we, we tend to think of multimodality. And, and may, I'm not saying, you know, I shouldn't use the word we. Oftentimes it is thought of as either a data collection technique or a data presentation technique. And it doesn't get to you know, playing around with multimodality just to analyze. And we talked about this at our class the other day, like even if no one sees that, like using photography of your own, like, you know, and Katie always like mentions the idea of preparing oneself to go. So like I'm doing walking methodologies and mapping and like I have to do those walks and the mapping, not just ask participants to do them or analyze, but like walking around the community myself, documenting myself to kind of get in that headspace. So you know, in our lit reviews, it's always like scholarly work, but we all are looking at Twitter. We're all watching videos or movies. We're all engaging in like pop culture literature and like bringing that in and like in an okay way to say, in addition to XYZ important resources, there's also these three Twitter chats that have been amazing in developing my thinking and helping me think through. So I feel like threading those in where it's not privileging one or the other, but like how those all, and that's like my collage idea of like stance, that these all these things all fit together and some are blurry and some are layered on top. Um, making visible those things to others because we're all doing that anyways. None of us are just relying on one thing or the other. So why not bring that process up? Well, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is the... The kind of, I mean, what, what you were saying, Haney, you said you have all of these great stories, these rich moments, the kind of collection of experiences is what you want to put out there. But Kyle, whose who's, uh, project, uh, dissertation is podcast, um, is over there. One of the questions he invites us to consider is what are those glimpses or, or moments from your research you wish people could see or hear, but then also what prevents you from doing that? And I think what I heard in what you were saying was, where are the venues, where are the audiences, and then also what are the institutional constraints that might prevent or promote making this work more visible? Because um, I also think there's such a shared sense of, in, in a lot of folks who are doing this kind of work, a shared sense of wanting to affect change in, in meaningful kinds of ways. Um, and, and I think the, so I, I'm, I'm curious to know where all have you found audiences or spaces to make this work visible, either in the process or in, in, in venues uh, of different audiences? Women beyond mass background. Well, <laughs> yeah. good plug. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, where, where else is this happening that you find to be generative um, that is feeding this kind of inquiry, this kind of work that isn't just being, isn't just have impact when it's published, but there's multiple timescales of impact, it seems like, when you're doing this kind of engaged, multimodal research. Maybe we don't have to think within academic spaces. I think that's probably, like I go back to Dahlia with you doing your gallery walk at the library. I think that's a powerful community space. Um, like two years ago, I invited second graders to come here 
and we were in like the hottest room ever in uh, like Horace Mann or something. And they just showed, did like a viewing of all the photographs that were like interesting to them that they wanted to show, right? And it was, there wasn't, and I remember someone asking me like, what was the prompt for the photos that they took? And honestly, there wasn't a prompt. It was just like, if you were to document school, what would it look like, you know? And they would just take a bunch of photos, right? So I think it's that, you know, like the academic space doesn't have to be the only space that's public, right? Or that's, I don't know. I feel like there's a consumptive element sometimes to academic spaces that maybe might be feel different and informal or the library or something that is more formalized but doesn't have that same goal. And I, at the risk of sounding too optimistic, I do think that we're seeing more and more of an acceptance um, and an embrace even of multimodal scholarship in academic spaces too. Um, I think there's definitely a curiosity about it. Um, that is always a good sign. And um, with the possibilities of um, you know online, media-rich presentation of work, I am seeing a lot of um, academic venues also being more and more open to it, right? There's um, conferences, um, there's um, all kinds of like working groups and, and spaces that are devoted to it. Um, so I do think that we are on a positive wave of, of change, again, at the risk of sounding too optimistic. Um, and I think it's, it's um, you know, places like this. I'm plugging my myself way too much, uh, where you can really feel the energy and that you feel the support that is so important, even for students like Kyle to to know that it's not only okay to pursue this kind of work, but that it's necessary and valuable and and innovative in so many ways. I think like coming together as a community, I mean, you know, a lot of us were teachers before, and I think that teacher self enters with us as researchers. so, as a teacher, I always believed in community-engaged teaching. So we had a lot of partnerships. You know, I'd like just call people up, like, "Hey, Columbia Pike Documentary Project, do you want to come work with us? Do you want to teach the kids how to do pictures?" And also, like, asking the kids, or for me, the researchers' kids, but our participants, like, "What are your spaces and your communities?" And then making sure our research is able to reach that. So you know, with the kids, like the different churches they went to, or community centers, different like immigrant centers, like we would put the artwork there, or we would go speak there, so that it's, it is in the communities, not just our communities, but also in the communities of our participants. And I feel like there are a lot of community groups and places in the community that are really eager to participate and collaborate. I mean, when I taught, I taught third graders, and you know they would make posters and like, can we put this up in your store because we're promoting family-owned businesses? And you know, like, all the stores are like, sure, it'll be interesting to see now that they're seventh through tenth graders whether people are just as interested because they're not as <laughs> little and cute. But um, just like breaking down those walls a little bit and like thinking of the communities our participants live in and trying to figure out ways to present there and engage there and to make it not a static. Here's what we're here to teach you, but Here's what we're sharing together. What do you guys think? How do you want to bring this in? Do you want us to come share our artwork? Well, and I think, too, building on that, there's so much potentiality and things happening in virtual spaces also, right? So I think, like, I do a lot of work 
<clears throat> with disability and accessibility and there's so many people that I've been able to connect with through Twitter chats and like organized that other organizations are doing as well but also thinking about for when you can't actually be in the same physical space but you can populate a virtual space together and I feel like that's something that when you think about multimodal scholarship really lends itself really nicely and I think also what I think is wonderful about tonight's PodFest, right, is that these are all sort of digital artifacts that are living somewhere where like you didn't have to be here tonight. I mean, there's something really important about being here as well, but if you weren't able to be here, you can still get a sense of what happened here. And I think that that's something that, for people thinking about multimodal scholarship, that, that is really, to me, one of the huge affordances of this way of doing research that I don't see as present in other research spaces. So you've all just gotten a little taste of what this conversation, what this idea, what this topic, what this phrase can open up in terms of trying to do engaged research that does work in the world at multiple points along the process. So I just want to thank Haney, Dahlia, Katie, and Ioana for engaging with us and all of you for your audience and Please enjoy the rest of the um, event. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our brief discussion about multimodality from this year's PodFest. If you have any thoughts about the episode or comments you'd like to share, give us a follow and tweet us at MassLab. This episode was produced by the Mask Lab at Teachers College, Columbia University. On the panel, you heard from Alita Vassadavan, Ioana Litterat, Haney Yoon, Katie Newhouse, and Dahlia Constantine. This episode was recorded by the Ed Lab, located in the Gottesman Libraries at Teachers College, and was edited by myself, Ajane Truss. Our theme music is Kelp Grooves by Little Glass Men, available at freemusicarchive.org, and you can visit our website, masklab.org, to listen to our podcast series, read blog posts, Find out about our events and follow our research. And we hope to see you at PodFest next year.